Hey, this is Mike Brake, the lead pastor at Freedom Church in Los Alamos. Just want to say thank you so much for stopping by the podcast today. I hope you feel encouraged and I hope you feel inspired today to take your next step of faith with Jesus. Enjoy the message. Have you noticed how noisy the world is? And it's a lot of angry noise. Have you noticed? Do you get a sense of that? I, I mean, I, I don't know if you listen to the news. Most of us do some way or other. We get it on a feed or we stream it or we, we watch cable news. It doesn't matter which cable brand you watch. It's all noisy and it's all strident and politics and the plague, which I prefer to call it, are ubiquitous and relentless. And that noise is often virulent and strident doesn't matter where you go, most all the news we hear is noisy and toxic and angry and attacking. I, I, I weary of it. Do, do, you? do you? Do you feel that at all? The, the, the clashing of or the merging of politics and faith in these days is extremely noisy. And maybe some of the most toxic, damaging, perhaps devil-inspired noise that there is to which we are subjected. Noise is a constant companion, and we've, we've kind of made it that way. I mean, almost everyone has earbuds. Have you noticed? Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna how, many of you have, how many of you have earbuds? Most of, well, maybe, okay, you don't, okay, don't confess, because maybe you don't want to. Most of us have earbuds, which means we are plugged in. I gotta, I gotta ask. What is that all about? Wherever I go, I see people with, with things stuck in their ears. And I admit, I'm grateful that I don't have to listen to everything that somebody else is listening to because I'm not sure exactly what it is. But sometimes I can't help but wonder, why is that so important? Why, why, why does that have to be channeled into the brain constantly? And why is it so valuable? Now, now I, I, I'm going I'm to share with you my pet peeve, if I may. <clears throat> so when I go to the gym, and I'm, I'm in the, weight, the machine circuit, and there's somebody there with his earbuds in and his phone in his hand, and he uses a machine that I'm waiting for, and he sits down on the seat of the machine and starts scrolling, probably selecting another song from his playlist, all the while sitting on that machine. And I'm standing there waiting. That's one of those times when I have to be really careful that I don't say words that would be inappropriate. In, in the moment. Because it's like, come on, man. We're not here to plug in and listen. We're here to do something else. Well, okay, I'll let that peeve go. The fact of the matter is our culture is, is averse to silence. It's just not very quiet, nor does it value quiet or the inclination to be quiet. Have you noticed that? We're quick to talk. We're quick to defend. We're quick sometimes to go on the attack. And to just keep talking, and our culture exalts the busy and the driven. The more busy we are, the more we get to brag about that. The more driven we are to get things done, the more we get to tell other people about that. And we find ourselves strenuously resisting, along with our culture, turning off the television, turning off our phones, being disconnected from all our, quote, devices, unquote. 
And we're subjected to constant encouragement to get more devices and be more plugged in so that we don't miss out on anything or fail to be entertained at any given moment. At one time, I thought Facebook and YouTube were pretty cool. Well, they still are kind of cool because they're like amazing. Until I really realized, however, how seriously addictive they are and how much time they will steal from you and me. Okay, I'm, again, I'll make another confession. Just this past week, I had a 10 o'clock appointment. In fact, it's with a doctor. You don't want to make the doctor keep waiting. And, but I was, I was at work, and I was getting ready to go, and I thought, oh, I'm just going to check Facebook for a moment. Why did I do that? I don't know. It was some, some evil-inspired impulse that came from deep within. And you know what? You know how it works. I, I, and I started, oh, that's interesting. Oh, hmm, oh, you scroll. And then I'm strolling through, and I'm scrolling, and I'm, and I'm, I'm flipping past the commercial. Because why are there so many advertisements on my Facebook feed now? I don't know. It's driving me crazy. But the fact of the matter is, and you know what? I looked up, and a full half hour had gone by. And it was 10 o'clock, and I was supposed to be in that office right this minute. In fact, the lovely lady at the office said, be here a half hour early. Well, I started scrolling at half hour before, and all that time was gone. And I, I said, what are you doing? I often talk to myself that way. Good grief. What are you thinking? Why did you do that? Anyway, I just realized it's so addictive and so captivating. It's so colorful, and it moves, and there's stuff on there, and sometimes it talks to you. It's so amazing. How can we get away from that? But it's no wonder, is it, that we are so edgy, that we are so anxious, that we often feel fear, that we often feel overwhelmed, that we sometimes are sick and sad and tired of the world and everybody and everything around us. There's no escape from the noise. There's no escape from the onslaught. And the overwhelming input can tear us down. It can do it. Unfortunately, and this is where it hits close to home. Unfortunately, there's little escape from noise at church. Even though the great religious traditions through the millennia have made a place for meditation and contemplation, we have figured out ways to avoid that as much as possible. I mean, I have visited a lot of churches over the years, especially recent years, and what I've, what I've observed is that most are heavy on noise and light on silence. Let's pray, somebody says, and they just start talking and just keep talking. Or then somebody says, let's worship, and then the band starts, and then it gets noisy and loud. Okay, now I'm going to back up because I'll tell you this. I, I, I've been in music. I've been a musician, both semi-professionally and otherwise, for 50 years. I love music. I love all kinds of music. I love contemporary worship music. I love the old hymns. I love my classic rock and roll, and I love other stuff. Some not so much. I mean, the classic rock and roll is probably the best, but you know, let's not go there and get into that debate. But the fact of the matter is, it is important to worship, and we were reminded this morning a couple of times that worship is not just the music. In fact, much contemporary music isn't all bad. I said that on purpose, just see what kind of response I would get. There is a place, of course, for praise and celebration, but it's not the totality of worship, is it? But most of us, and I will confess, I, I am guilty of this. I'm guilty of structuring worship services, so we do exactly this, that we kind of worship on the fly. 
You know that we just move from one part to the next. We don't want to stop. We don't want to build in a lot of silence because, well, intentional silence is hard to do anyway, but it might be somewhat uncomfortable. So we just don't do silence very much. And here's a thought. Here's a thought I had even early this morning as I was sitting and trying to be quiet just for a minute. And my thought was, is it possible that I've become conditioned to believe that God can only speak through the noise, that he can only speak through the noise that somebody else is making? Is it possible that I've been conditioned to believe that God is impressed by the noise that I make? And sometimes I'm, well, even today, not so convinced that he is. It's a funny thing, you see. We, we beg God to talk to us, and then we turn up the volume. We turn on Christian music, and we stream well-intentioned uh, Christian podcasts and videos of preachers and teachers that we admire and appreciate. And sure enough, God can speak to us through those means, and this is not denigration of those. It's just that often we will turn up the volume and plug in and listen to the stuff and fail to get quiet and listen for him. And when we find ourselves often stretched to the limit and find ourselves buried under the load and find ourselves anxious or angry or frustrated and not even quite sure how to get to the bottom of that, maybe what we're realizing is that God might indeed want to speak to us or just spend time with us, but we have not been able to get quiet and listen for his voice. Now, C.S. Lewis had some insight into this. You're familiar with his uh, well-known uh, little book, which, in fact, it's a treasure. If you haven't read it, you should, because it will set you back on your heels a bit. The Screwtape Letters, it's essentially a conversation between the devil and his apprentice devil, between Satan and Wormwood. Wormwood is the apprentice devil. And Satan is often given instructions to the apprentice, and he's saying, this is how we're going to take the world. This is how we're going to win. This is how we're going to defeat him. This is how we're going to do that. And at one point, the devil says, I detest silence. Hell, Satan says, is filled with furious noise. The audible expression of all that is exultant and ruthless and virile. We will make the whole universe a noise. We've already made great strides in this direction as regards the earth, and the melodies and the silences of heaven will be shouted down in the end. Ooh. Well, that's just C.S. Lewis writing a reflection on what he thinks the devil might be saying. But you and I probably ought to stop and listen to that for a moment. When do we get the world out of our head long enough so that God can get a word in to our head? When do we do that? When do we make space to listen for the melodies and the silences of heaven, whatever those are. Well, let's look at the book for just a moment. Do you have your Bible with you? Let's take a look at 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 19. And we read the story of Elijah. And Elijah has had a mountaintop experience. He was on Mount Carmel, literally, and had an amazing victory over the prophets of Baal. And it's kind of a gory story. In fact, when we tell this story to our children, we sort of hold off the last part because it's kind of rough. 
But we do nevertheless say, look what God did when he sent down fire and consumed the sacrifice and when he uh, evaporated all the water in the ditch and blew the rocks apart and did the whole thing. How funny it was when, I mean, we have to chuckle when we read about Elijah goading the prophets of Baal who were begging their God to show up and begging their God to do something, anything. And Elijah said, well, maybe he's gone on a trip. Maybe he's taken a nap. You know, maybe there's a problem with his hearing. And then when Elijah steps back and says, God, show yourself, and the fire comes down, that's a mountaintop experience, one that you and I would hope for at some point along the way in our journey. But here's what's really interesting. Not very long after that incredible experience with God where he was raised up and lifted and uh, encouraged and empowered, that everything went south. And the queen herself, who was not a nice person, just declared that he would be dead if anything, if it was over her dead body, he would be dead soon. And she came after him. And Elijah ran. And he hid in a cave. Now, he's hoping something will happen. He's hoping that God might show up. He's hoping that something dramatic and powerful will happen. He's expecting God to show up, do something, and fix things, right? That's what most of us do. We hide in the cave and we say, oh God, please show up and do something. In fact, what we do is often what Elijah did. God, I'm all by myself and nobody cares and everybody else is gone. I'm the last one. Have you ever felt like that? Elijah certainly did and I'll bet you and I at some point in our lives have identified with that or can even today. And we're saying, God, please do something. Fix this, be powerful. And then look what happened. Let's read the story. Here he is. He's in the cave. This is 1 Kings 19, verse 9. Then he came there to a cave, and he lodged there. That means he stayed for a bit. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and, and God said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And then Elijah just unloads. God, you know I've been zealous for you, the God of hosts. For the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left. And they seek my life and want to take it away. I'm at the bottom of the pit, God. I need you to do something. I've been faithful. Nobody else is, but I am. Look at me. And God says, hey, you want me to just stand up and go outside and stand right there. I'm going to come by. So what is Elijah looking for when God says, I'm going to come by? Well, look what happens. The Lord did pass by, and a great and strong wind was rending the mountains and breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord. I mean, imagine wind blasting apart the rocks on the side of the mountain. Must have been an amazing and awesome and terrifying moment. But the Lord was not in that wind. And after the wind, a deep rumble arose from the depths of the earth, and the ground began to shake, and rocks from the cliffs began to fall. There was an earthquake. But the Lord, in all that mighty, amazing power, as the tectonic plates shifted, was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. Have you ever been on top of a mountain in a lightning storm? You know how utterly, utterly terrifying that is. It's one of the few places I really feel deep, 
deep, uh, life-threatening fear is on top of a mountain in a lightning storm. I've only been there a couple times, but it's enough to put the fear of God into you and whatever else. Because I'm pretty sure, actually, I've, I've actually been coming down a trail pretty fast, trying to get off a peak and outrun the storm, and the lightning is crashing right behind me, and I'm saying the whole time, oh God, oh God, oh God. And I'm also saying, I know, I know that you control this lightning and you could take me out right now and I probably deserve it, uh, but, but, but if you hold off, I just need to get down a little lower. We've all kind of been in those sorts of places. This lightning showed up, this fire, it's called, but the Lord was not in the lightning. But listen to this, after the fire, what? A sound of gentle blowing. It got really quiet. The last few pebbles from the earthquake skitter to a stop. The howling wind drops to a gentle breeze, barely audible. And then God speaks. And Elijah heard it. And he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And the voice came to him and said, again, now, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now, Elijah goes into the same same speech he gave before. And God says, okay, 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 I get it. I got something for you to do. And then he tells him what he needs to do. When I read this, I have to ask myself, have you heard God in the gentle breeze lately? Or are you waiting to hear him in the noise, in the mighty awesome powers, in the crashing, in the flashing, in the splashing, and the dashing? Well, there are other biblical writers who knew this business of being quiet before God. David. David writes quite a lot, actually. David, who lived numbers of years before Elijah, Listened for God in the stillness. Just let's listen to some of these texts. In Psalm 4, David writes this. He says, You can tremble with anger or with fear, but do not sin. In other words, do not let it control you. Rather, meditate or speak in your heart upon your bed and be still. I could mention Psalm 23 too, and you could quote it with me. He says, the Lord who's my shepherd, he, in verse 2, makes me what? Lie down in green pastures and leads me beside still waters. Literally, in the language in which the biblical writer wrote those still waters, that means waters of rest. A literal translation. In Psalm 62, David writes, my soul waits in silence for God only. From him is my salvation. And then in verse 5, he says again, my soul wait in silence for God only for your hope, your hope is in him. Psalm 63, I remember you on my bed, O God. I meditate on you in the night watches. And then that theme appears again. If you have your Bible, just turn very quickly over to Psalm 119. Longest chapter in the Bible, filled with all kinds of good stuff. Psalm 119. And listen to what the writer of Psalm 119 says. Look at verses 
145 and 148. And here, this theme comes through clearly. I cried with all my heart, answer me, O Lord. I will observe your statutes. I cried to you, save me, and I will keep your testimonies. I rise before the dawn and cry for help. I wait, I long, I hope in your words. My eyes anticipate, I'm, I'm eager for the night watches, because then in the quiet of the night, I will meditate on you, I will meditate on your word. Jesus, who long after both David and Elijah spoke on the earth, did some things that made it very clear he understood the importance of silence. Turn over to Mark. We look at the gospel. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. You already know this text. We'll just look at it quickly. <clears throat> it's here after a very busy day, after a time when uh, there had not, there hardly been time to eat or take a break, that after that day, verse 35 of chapter 1, <clears throat> in the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place, quiet by himself. And there he was praying. If you turn just a few pages over to chapter 6, verse 30, 36, same sort of context. There's all kinds of crazy going on. All kinds of busyness. I mean, we've been healing, we've been teaching, we've been feeding thousands of people. And then Jesus says to the disciples, hey guys, you get in the boat and um, go ahead to the other side. I'll meet you there. They're probably wondering how in the world he's going to do that. There's only one boat. But he says, you go ahead. I'll meet you on the other side. And after bidding them farewell, he left the mountain he left for the mountain to pray. In the parallel passage in Matthew chapter 14, it says this, he went to the mountain by himself. And then as if to reemphasize the point, it says at the end of that verse, and he was there alone. Just no other words from anybody. Just need to be alone. This business of silence is probably a therapeutic exercise in which we don't often expend a lot of time. It's probably something that you and I need way more than we realize that we need. What about this? You know, here's the deal. Silence is uh, not really very popular. You, you won't hear many sermons on silence from megachurch preachers because there's got to be something else going on there. You won't hear about a silence conference. Come to our conference. We're going to be silent. <laughs> and you might say, hmm, okay, I got other stuff to do. Or you might hear, come to our weekend workshop, our workshop, because we're going to be quiet the whole weekend. Well, what kind of work is that? Well, what do you do? What do you and I do if we're thinking about this business of silence? in this business of discovering whether or not this would be a valuable thing for us. Well, we, first of all, let me mention a couple of things. We have to be 
ready to see the situation for what it is. We, it just may be that all of us humans are a little bit afraid of silence. We may fear it because in silence we face ourselves, our dark thoughts, our fear of failure, our not measuring up, our frustrations and anger, our dark places, all the things that just wear us down and weigh us down. When we get really, 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 really quiet, those things just might surface. You know what else I wonder, though? I wonder if we fear silence because we're not so sure about God. I wonder if we fear silence because we're not sure God will really be there. We're maybe not sure that he cares enough to meet us or that he wants to spend time with us. That's a possibility. That's why you and I take some time to think about these things. So if these are fears or reservations that we experience, what we do then is fill all the spaces with noise and busy, and therein lies the problem because noise doesn't fix the problem. The noise of our world, even, even Christian noise, does not solve our deepest longings. It doesn't satisfy our deepest hungering, address our deepest needs, or lead us to hope-filled actions. There's only one who can do that. And we have to recognize that situation for what it is. But the second thing is, we have to make a decision to make time to be quiet and listen. You know, we're, we're not monks. I spent a weekend at a monastery a few years ago. That's a great experience. It was, they, they, they were, uh, they'd taken a vow of silence. It was a very quiet weekend. I was thankful that they still agreed to serve food. Uh, but, you know, it was still silent the whole time. And I noticed that even when we walked down the sidewalk and there were, I was coming to a, to a monk, a resident of the monastery, and we're walking down the sidewalk and we're kind of looking at each other. Well, my inclination is to say, howdy, how you doing? Because I grew up in Oklahoma and that's what you do, right? Well, we're walking down the sidewalk and he, looks, he does this and looks away from me. So after a while, I found myself doing this and looking away from him so that we, we just didn't even make eye contact. There was no in, inclination to make noise. And it took me about a day to figure out what that even felt like, whether I liked that or not. But we live, we're not monks, and we live in the everyday world, and we understand the challenge of bringing any vestige of a listening quiet into our lives that are already consumed by the cares of the world. But silence and listening, we begin to understand, may be really valuable to us. And what's even better, they're free. We just have to want them more than we want the things that crowd them out of our lives. We have to decide this silence with Jesus, listening for the sound of God's voice and the gentle blowing, the whisper. That's really what gentle blowing means, whisper. Will help us deal with a whole lot of other things that seem so painful or urgent or demanding or pressing. Well, how do we do this? How do we get there? I mean, sure, we've got to recognize it. We've got to make a decision. I, I, I want that, but how do we get there? Well, let me give you the formula. Actually, I have no formula. I don't know what it takes for you to get there. I do think it takes a little bit of looking inside. It might be a silent retreat. I can give you the address of the monastery and put you in touch with the, the Father Superior. No, that's not what he's called. Anyway, the main guy, he'll, he'll set you up. He actually has to talk on the phone. Um, but he'll set you up. Or it might just hit you. It might just come over you someday if you give it a moment. 
I can tell you what happened to me. And I, I, uh, I, will, I will say, I have spent the better part of half a century, I can actually say that now, uh, studying this book and <clears throat> um, trying to have a quiet time, we call it. My quiet time is so rarely quiet. I, I've spent all these years and just realized that my quiet time was not very successful and, and not really very quiet because my mind just goes a million different directions that fast. And I say to God, okay, I'm here, let's talk. And then I'm thinking, but by the way, I also have to do that thing today. Well, early one morning, and this is just a story, and it's not been that long ago. In fact, it was early in the morning, and it was still semi-dark, just before dawn. Now, I already had my coffee, because I set up my coffee the night before, because I'm really not sure I can even address the dawn without coffee in my hand. So I'm sitting there with my coffee, and in fact, I'm, I'm propped up in bed. I went and got coffee, and I came back and propped up in bed. And I'm just sitting there. And it's time for my quiet time. I'm probably going to switch on the light because my Bible's right there, and my Bible is urging me to pick it up because that's what I do, right? I have a reading plan, and I've got to read so many chapters a day, so it's like a box to check. And then I'm going to go through the list of things that I need to tell God to do for me today because I have a long list of things that he needs to do. I have my coffee. My Bible's there. I'm ready to get going. Generally, i got to fight the, the, the distractions, the internal noise. That's where most of it is. And resist diversions. And, of course, right over there, almost within reach, is my phone. And you know what I want to do? I, I want to pick it up just in case I got messages in the middle of the night. Hmm. Or maybe something came in. But that morning, that morning, I just hesitated. I felt heavy. My heart felt heavy. I, I, I just I couldn't do any of the normal stuff. I felt like I needed something more, something else. So I just stopped. I still got my coffee, but I just stopped everything. And then while I was there, seemingly out of nowhere, seemingly from somewhere, a song came to my mind, a song I hadn't thought of in 20 years. It was a song that my kids listened to when they were in high school. You probably remember it, or maybe you do. If you're, well, you, hopefully you remember it. Um, it's a Mercy Me song, and the kids used to sing it in youth group, and it came to me in a moment unbidden, and I started humming it, and then I started singing the words that I could remember, and the, the words go like this, when I cannot feel, when my wounds won't heal, Lord, I humbly kneel, hidden in you, because, okay, I got to be careful when I read this, because I'll start crying in a minute, because I could just sit with you a while. You could just hold me. Nothing could touch me, though I'm wounded and though I died. If I could just sit with you a while, I need you to hold me moment by moment till forever passes by. And I'll tell you, as soon as those words came to my mind and I said the phrase, if I could just sit with you a while, I just started crying. It just, tears just started flowing. And I realized that's exactly what I wanted. Not the form, not the function, not the stuff, not the trappings. I just wanted to sit with him a while. And, you know, okay, so like I said, it's still very close. So I, after I composed myself, like I will right now, 
which I really didn't because I just kept on crying, which I might now also, because it goes deep, right? I envisioned him sitting right there, a few feet away, listening. And I said to him, I know you're the king, and I know you sit on the throne. I mean, I read that in your book. I know you're probably busy, and you probably don't have time for me because you got important stuff to do. But if we could just sit here for a minute, just a minute, and just get quiet. And I didn't get the sense that he was in a hurry to leave. And I told him that after years of, you know, going to church and after years of going to seminary, and it took me a long time to get out of seminary. After years of being a pastor, it took me a long time to get out of being a pastor. <laughs> I just said that. And years of preaching and teaching all about him, I, all of a sudden I realized I know a lot about him. I can tell you a lot of stuff. But I said, Jesus, maybe I don't know you so well. And then I really started his crimes, and I'm, I'm sorry about that. I'm sorry. I, I, I just need to be here with you. And then everything broke open. The floodgates just broke open right there with him, and I poured everything out to him. And you know what? That's a real honest moment because you realize he already knows. So if you tell him all your stuff, all the junk, all the garbage, all the stuff built up inside, all the anger, all the frustration, all the disappointments, all the lack of fulfillment, all the lack of success, all the stuff, the fear that I, that I don't measure up, the fact that I'm always trying and trying, all the, the pride and the pretense and, and then the, the feelings of inadequacy, all that just kind of tumble around there so weirdly, they all just come dumping out. No shading of the facts. It's not very pretty. But I didn't get the feeling that he was ready to leave. <clears throat> and after a while of all of that, I just stopped. And I tell you, it was a moment of, whew. And I listened, because now I'm thinking he's going to say a word. And guess what? I didn't hear a thing. <laughs> I didn't hear a word. And I'm waiting like, okay, I need a word. And... You know what I did know? You know what I knew at the core of my soul? That he was there in the silence. And he just said, I got you. He didn't really even say that, but I felt it. I got you. For all the garbage you got inside of you, I got you. I love you. I'm not leaving. And I realized after that moment, I need this. I got to do this all the time. And, and I will also tell you, I, I, now when I sit at my coffee at the night before, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I can hardly wait till tomorrow morning. Because I'm going to go get my coffee, I'm going to come back, and I'm going to prop that, and I'm going to say, good morning. And he's going to say, what do you mean good morning? I've been up all night. <laughs> or something. No, he, actually, I, 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 don't hear, I don't hear words. I just sit in silence with him. The only sound that you might hear is the sipping but I just listen, and at some point, I might pick up my Bible, and I might go through the list, but I look forward to coffee time with Jesus more than I can express to you, and I guarantee you, when you experience something like that, when it just comes over and you say, man, I need to do that, and you do it, 
what will happen is you'll say, I want more of this. You'll say every morning, Jesus, Jesus. Because often when I start praying, I say, Heavenly Father, oh God, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of how I was actually taught to pray when I was a kid. Oh God, Heavenly Father. But I, now I say, Jesus, I just, I just want to hear from you. I just want to be here with you. I just I want to know you if I can. Now, here's a caveat. My experience is not your experience. And I don't have a formula for you. And I'll admit that some days in my moments with Jesus, some are better than others. Especially there's a lot on my mind. It seems like there almost always is. So I have to resist staying up late if I'm going to get up early the next morning for this, not just to be at work on time, but for this and nothing else. I gotta make sure I stop early enough in the evening. I have to convince myself in that moment when I stop with him that everything on my schedule can wait. Every important thing that I've got to do can wait. I also have to avoid that phone at all costs because you know what happens if I pick up the phone to read my Bible on my phone? How far away is it to something else that's just gonna say, hey, why don't you check this while you're here? And I guarantee you that moment will be gone. So I stay away from the phone, and I have to breathe deeply. I have to not immediately jump into my prayer list or start rehearsing all the things. What I want to do is breathe out the noise of the news and breathe in the soft breeze, the whisper of God's voice. I want to breathe out the tension and the anxiety and the fear that surrounds me, and I want to breathe in a sense of peace and rest for this moment. I want to breathe out anger and frustration, and I want to breathe in quiet forgiveness. I want to get the world out of my head so God can get a word in there. I do often have have to pick up my Bible, or, or more often than not, I'll try to recite something I've memorized, a text I've memorized over the years. Because my thoughts are like, are like fifth graders. They're continually barging in wanting a snack, and they're always asking for permission to do something that they shouldn't be doing. So I have to say, hey, 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 (laughs) hang on a minute. But why, why would any of us do this? Because it may well be that God's saying, tap, tap, tap on your shoulder. I've been trying to get through to you because all that stuff you're carrying, I'd like for you to unload that on really seriously, unload it. And I want to bring something into your heart that you may be seriously looking for. Sometimes I read a hymn. Now, I grew up with the hymns. Some of you did too. But I find sometimes when I read a hymn, and I, and I, keep, a hymn, I keep this hymn right next to my Bible, and I read a hymn that goes something like this. Just as I am, without one plea. But that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Just as I am, though tossed about with many a conflict and many a doubt, fightings and fears within and without, O Lamb of God, I come. 
just as I am, poor, wretched, blind, sight, riches, healing of the mind. Yes, all I need in thee to find, O Lamb of God, I come. Just as I am, thou wilt receive, wilt welcome, pardon, cleanse, relieve, because thy promise I believe, O Lamb of God. I come. I come. Sometimes you read a text. Sometimes you read a hymn just to get the thoughts under control. Let's stop for a moment and just uh, let him, according to how he will choose to do so, put a thought or a sense, or a feeling, I mean, he's not beyond working through feelings, into us right this moment. And then I'll close this prayer with a psalm that I recite almost every day in this quiet time with him. Let's pray. Oh God, be gracious to me. According to your loving kindness, be gracious to me. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and my brokenness. Cleanse me from my sin. I, I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. And you are right in your judgment of my sins. And I know you want truth in my innermost being. I know you want truth. So purify me and I'll be clean and wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Blot out your iniqu my iniquity from your face. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Please don't cast me from your presence. Let me be beside you. Please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Let your spirit reside in me. And restore to me the joy of my salvation. I want to live in that joy. And sustain me with a willing spirit, your spirit willing to make me alive, my spirit willing to serve. And then, Father, I will seek to be about your business this day whatever that is. I would say to you, my friends, if you're here this morning and you're just struggling to figure out how to deal with all this stuff, figure out a way to sit with him for a while. If you're looking for something that help kind of set things in place and get things in perspective, spend some time with him. If you're here this morning and you've not even begun this journey, or maybe you've barely begun it, you don't really quite know Jesus yet at all, you know what? There's no better time and no better place than right now to say to him, Lord Jesus, I, I, I'm lost without you. I need you. Come into my higher, my heart. Make me new.
Thank you, Father, for this morning, for speaking to us through your word, speaking through your spirit to us, giving us an opportunity to be together. Go with us. We go from this place. May we simply go from here, not only celebrating and rejoicing in fellowship that we dearly love, but that we also go with thoughts in our hearts and minds to look for ways that we can spend time sitting with you, experiencing some silence where you can speak to us. Help us get the world out of our heads just long enough for you to get a word in. And we won't cease to give you thanks and praise you and love you and try to learn more how to love you with every breath. It is in the name of Jesus. together we say amen and amen. Thank you again for taking the time to listen to the podcast this week. I hope you felt inspired to take your next step of faith with Jesus. Just a couple next steps that you can take coming out of this. One, rate and review the podcast. That really does get the message out to other people faster, as well as click subscribe to make sure you get the latest content as it rolls out each week. And finally, if you want to partner with us financially, head on over to our website, click the word give. That's going to get the message out through our ministries further and faster. Have a wonderful week. God bless.